Hello, Kim. Hey, Sarah. We're here for a special episode of Once Upon a Tech. And oh. uh, I, I know it's very exciting. And for our special episode, we have a special guest. You may remember this special guest because she kicked us on the show a few weeks ago, and she's going to kick ass with us again today. So thank you so much for coming back, Sally Gabreasis from FTP, the podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. I'm happy to be here. And we are tackling a topic very close to my heart today. We're going to be talking about misinformation, disinformation, fake news, and uh, how to make sure that you are educating yourself and the people that you know and love correctly, especially right now. At this very moment, it is November 13th. It's a Friday. It's 4.15 p.m. And despite the fact that the election was on November 3rd, we are still very much living in limbo. And well, I guess that we are living in limbo, depending on who you ask and where you look, which is very related as we have gotten farther from the election and the news has gotten bigger and wilder. It's just the Wild West out there. Have you both noticed that as well? Yes, very much so. Yeah, for sure. It's really hard to know where to look and what to believe and how to feel right now. And so I texted Kim early this week and I said, it's time. <laughs> we need to do a misinformation <laughs> We need to have the podcast. talk. <laughs> we need to have the talk. So I wanted to do this episode because I have found myself confused and overwhelmed and not knowing what to believe and how to feel. And I am an experienced librarian with a master's in library information science who, and if you are not familiar, when you are in that track, you study very closely information literacy, media literacy. I know and teach information literacy and media literacy. So I thought if I am overwhelmed, it is likely that others are feeling overwhelmed as well. And a good way to tackle that is to jump on in and share whatever resources we have and who better to have than a podcaster who looks very closely at the press and at democracy and the way politics impact us all. So we are coming together today to hopefully give you some good information about where to find your news and how to judge what's valuable and what's not. So Kim and I started working together, really studying disinformation and fake news. How long ago was it, Kim? Five years ago? Five years ago, six years ago. And that was around the time I think that the term fake news really started to become everyday vernacular. And we started hearing it from our elementary school students. And so we created a unit that we called Foiling Fake News and taught it directly to our elementary school students. And over the years, we've written articles about that unit. We have traveled internationally to speak about that and to showcase it in different places. And it's been a really wonderful experience and shown us that it is possible to teach people to change their behavior when it comes to searching for and taking in news. You just have to work hard <laughs> and you have to have the techniques in your toolbox so that you'll be ready to use them. So and, I'm, and I think it's certainly easier to start with elementary school students. Oh my gosh, they, yes. they haven't, <laughs> they, they don't have those habits yet. They just have, you know, ideas from what they've you know, heard from parents or peers or whatever, but they haven't been indoctrinated like, you know, the rest of us when we're older. 
And most, we started around fourth grade because we found that that was when students were starting to navigate the internet alone, whether it was on a smartphone or on a computer that they had for school or a computer that they were using for homework or the family computer. Right around fourth grade was when we noticed that they were starting to strike out independently. And that meant that they were going to be bombarded by whatever news was available, whether by choice or by uh, force of the internet. Sally, did you learn about media literacy and information literacy when you were in school? I genuinely, when I was in high school or even middle school or elementary school, they would talk, not even elementary school, probably started middle school. We talk about how to research, right? So bias, um, don't use Wikipedia. Like I, I'm not gonna like um, count that as a source if you use it in your paper type of things. But we didn't talk about media literacy. Like there, there was no lesson on how to navigate ourselves independently from our parents or from our surroundings, our environments on our own in the internet. I think, especially like while I was in middle school, not teachers specifically, but I think the world thought that they could, or parents or anyone that was older than us thought they could shelter us from the internet more than they actually could. Mm -hmm. They didn't feel like it was necessary to have those conversations. And on the topic of fake news, even at that age, I wouldn't have even known what that meant because I genuinely, and you you talk about um, starting five years ago, it did start five years ago. Like the the extent of what we understand fake news to be now mm-hmm. and how much we talk about it in conversation is very, very recent, you know? So I feel like that there was no proactive response to my middle school or high school experience on, on internet or any of the stuff that um, we'll be talking about today. Yeah, and you bring up such a good point. And I think I railed against it as soon as I started in education of, parents and teachers wanting to protect Mm -hmm. um, kids from the internet, but they were going to be on the internet. So like, instead of protecting them and, you know, saying at school, you're blocked from these sites, we need to show them how to use it. Yeah. It is a natural instinct to want to protect children from things that are scary and things that are big and, and things that we think can hurt them. And this is a very rare instance where we have to fight against that instinct. If, For no other reason, because students are digital natives in ways that adults are not right now. And so we can't protect them because they already know how to navigate it better than most of the adults in their lives. And so any firewall, any safety net, anything that we can put in place, they will find their way through it very quickly. They're so nimble, so digitally nimble. And so giving them the tools that they can use, knowing that they're going to be on it, and giving them kind of a suit of armor when they navigate it, I feel like is the best thing that we can do. And when you take on that role, they teach you some of the cool stuff too, which is really neat. Absolutely. And and I think the danger, and so many of my friends went through this, is no one told us when you were in sixth, sixth grade with iPhone fives that everything you put on the internet is forever. Mm. It wasn't until my eighth grade year that one of my teachers told me, that colleges can like search up your Twitter and use that on on your like admission process or that jobs can search up your name on the internet. And if they find information they don't like that, they won't hire you. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's what you should be teaching children so that they know that their decisions, even from a young age will affect them forever. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's something that my, not my generation, but my age group definitely, definitely missed out on. 
So Sarah, I know we're talking about kids, but let's talk about what we want adults to know. Yeah, we we talk about these tips in the context of kids because that's the way that we have worked with them most. But the truth is that I use these tips every single day. And anyone who has heard me talk about news knows that I tell them to all of the people in my life. So when it comes to spotting fake news, if that's what you want to call it, discovering misinformation, validating the sources that you're choosing to get your news from, however you want to phrase that, I like to use the five W's and these are going to sound familiar, who, what, where, when, and why. So when you're looking at it, let's say a news article pops up on your Facebook feed, you want to look at the who, who's the author? What do you know about the person that wrote that article? And that also plays into who are they writing it for? And there's obviously big name networks that we know and understand. Most of us understand the political slant and the bias of Fox News versus CNN. And our brain is kind of going to automatically recognize that. But close, taking a closer look at the author, looking at their byline, looking at their body of work, figuring out whether they hold a degree, not that that's necessary to be a strong writer or journalist, but you can learn a lot by figuring out who the author is. Have any of you had experiences with that where the who has changed the way that you've looked at a piece of news? Absolutely. First of all, I want to say that Fox News, I think we, I don't know if you guys know this, but I feel like a lot of people don't understand that it is not a news station. It is a media station. It is not held to the same accreditation. I can't say the word. Accreditation? Yeah. Accreditation. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. um, If you guys listen to our podcast, I literally said, like, I can't pronounce anything, but (laughs) basically they're not held to the same standard that CNN and um, all the other places are because they're not a news source. They're a media source. They don't have to be truthful and it's more opinion, you know what I mean, than it is fact. But for me, on the topic of who, who changes everything, mm-hmm. it changes the, the adjectives that are used in the actual content itself, you know? And I think knowing, you bring up a good point with degrees and, and how much do they actually know on this subject to even be talking about it, but it also mm-hmm. speaks so much about what do, what's their identity. If you search their name up, what comes up? Because mm-hmm. if you search their name up and they're a part of the, the DNC and all this kind of stuff, like obviously what they're saying is going to be held not at a lower stand, but at a lower place than something. It's just that, different. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's just different. Exactly. It's opinion, which is exactly fine if you know that. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I love the way you said that, Kim. There's nothing wrong with opinion as long as you know that that's what you're reading. Yeah. So that's the who. And then there's the what. What is the piece saying? What's the purpose of the piece? Is it trying to inform you? Is it trying to sell you something? Is it trying to convince you or persuade you of something? Is it trying to take something you think you understand and flip it and prove you wrong? If you look closely at the language, what is the choice of language telling you? We've all read those articles that have verbs or adjectives that seem like unusually strong. Like why do we need to use the word abhorrent that many times? And so if you look closely at what the piece is saying, that can also be a clue on whether that's trustworthy or not. I think that's regardless of if it makes you feel good mm-hmm. or if it makes you feel awful. Like oh, if it makes that's you, so hard. If it, yeah. If it makes you have feelings, then it's probably trying to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. I've had those moments where I'm like, okay, so this is a little over the top but it's what I thought was right. And I feel really good about that. So I'm just going to let it go. And <laughs> hopefully I'm not the only one that's had that moment. No, I've, I've had that moment every time I read something, but 
I think, and I keep taking it back to politics, but the what is probably one of the most important W's that we have listed here because there will be pieces that are trying to, that pretend to be informing you on like, let's say a new bill. And in that same piece, tell you all the reasons why you should vote for it or why pe- like the, you should get your senators or your representatives to vote for it. Like, and it's not, then you're confused. And at the end of the piece, you're saying, what did I even learn? You know what I mean? Like, what did I learn that actually would be considered fact? And I think a lot of people have a long, uh, hard time figuring that out. So they give up before they can really understand the what of the article or whatever mm-hmm. the piece may be. And it becomes a habit. If you finish the article and stop for just a moment and reflect on the what, it becomes a habit very quickly. Yes. And it that's something that you start doing all the time. So who is the author? What is the piece saying? And what is it trying to tell you or convince you of? Where, this one's pretty simple. Where is the article posted? And for the person who wrote or posted it, where did they get their information from? Hopefully most of the articles that you're reading are going to have citations. They're going to cite their sources. You're going to be able to trace that information back to the root and figure out whether it's coming from a study or whether it's coming from something that's anecdotal. But that where is it posted, that has a lot to do with the domain. And this is something that we teach kids because once you start looking with this critical eye, you can't unsee it. Whether a website is a .com, a .net, a .gov, a .org. And I know that when I went to library school, we taught students that they could trust a .org and a .gov, that they should be careful around a .net or a .com because somebody purchased that domain and it's they get they paid for it and they get to put whatever they want on it. Now, however many years later, <laughs> there's a lot more domains than just .gov, .org, and .com. So there's a lot more to worry about. And there has been a swing in the past five or six years to start listing .gov on the sources that you need to look more critically, more closely at. So just because it's a .gov doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that you can trust anymore. Do you both kind of trust .org, .gov, .com? What, what's your thought no. on domains? No. <laughs> because <laughs> collective, no. Anybody can, I could buy it. I have bought .org domains. So. Oh, well, don't trust it if Kim it. <laughs> Goodbye. I trust documents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been uploaded to .gov because I'm assuming that the gov- that the .gov's, um, the documents on the .gov's can be, you know, messed around with before they get published. But I'm at a point where, <laughs> honestly, I, I think I have a hard time trusting anything. But yeah. if I knew the name before I clicked on an article, I have a easier time believing it than um, if it's a new website, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you both just busted my my old belief. I think that's out of date. I think the things that I learned in school are no longer applicable and that looking at the domain name can maybe give you a clue or a gut feeling or push you in the right direction, but it's no longer a way to measure whether that website is valid. And that's- It'd be nice. I mean, I think it it was a nice rule because it's nice and easy, but- (laughs) (laughs) I think this next one is really interesting. The when, Go for it. You when take the, the article was written and posted, because I don't know about you all, but I, especially on social media, people are posting old stuff so much more than they used to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yep. and I really, I mean, I just have to look at that date. And if it's, you know, years old, I, I know I can ignore it because <laughs> they're just trying to bring up old, you know, stuff. And sometimes they're posting old things and they genuinely think that it's new because they exactly. didn't stop to look at the date. Yes, I and know. so it gets people all riled up. And then you realize like, oh, this is from 2014. Never mind. 
So that this rule used to be more about websites that are the information was old and hadn't been updated in a long time and the site was out of date. I don't know if that is quite as common anymore. It seems like most of the disinformation that we're battling is lightning fast and has probably been put up within the last week or month. But looking at when the article was written and posted, that's an easy one to check that box and make sure that what you're looking at is up to date and that the website is up to date. So that brings us to the why. Why is big. (laughs) This is really big. It's a little bit like what, but why does the article exist? Why is the author sharing the information? Why is the news outlet making this available to you? Why are they making it to avail- available to you for free if you are getting it and you're not beyond a paywall? There's just so much to consider in that why. And it really takes a moment of stopping and just thinking it through that I don't know that most of us practice daily when we look at the news. Help me out with the why, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was going to wait for you to finish. But the why, I think, is what people think the least about because I don't think that people care enough to ask why. I don't like, I don't think anyone, not, I mean, not anyone, but I I don't think enough people stop to say, why is this being told to me? Because once they've consumed that information, they're already onto thinking about what that information means to them. And that is so dangerous because you've already let that influence you before you even like stop to think, okay, all of these W's, but especially why, you know? And I think that's where, that's where I think adults differ than kids because kids, I think all the time are questioning and I think their favorite question is why, you know, <laughs> but once you get to, to be an adult, it, it, it's not more why is this being told to me or why, why am I important enough to, to hear this or whatever the case may be. It's more, how is it going to affect me? You're so right. It's more about, her. is this, is it, you know, first of all, you look at an article, does it impact me? Does it not impact me? And if it doesn't, you skip it. Right. And that has brought all sorts of other <laughs> problems <laughs> to our surface. And I love the way you said the way you let it influence you because you do, it's a choice. You can choose to consume, to learn. You can choose to consume, to have an emotional reaction. You can choose to consume, to step outside of your world, or you can choose to consume, to strengthen your bubble. I mean, the way we take news in, it's as much of a choice as how frequently we take news in and where we take news in from. So the way we let it wash over us, how much we reflect on it, how critically we think about the information that we're bombarded with, that's a choice. And and we've got to make better choices. (laughs) That's that's really what it comes down to. And I think that's what's the craziest part about even the conversation that we're having about misinformation, because to some extent, and I mean, this is, I'm so for more regulation. I chew up companies, especially social media companies that have failed at their job to stop the spread of misinformation. But also, I think looking at individuals, a big question that I have is like, how did we get here? How did we enable it to get to a point where this is such a big conversation and such a big concern? Because there's a level of personal choice that I think we all gave away. And I, that's what I think quite, like makes me question the state of, of research in our, in our society today. Oh, that is so profound and so true. And and I think it came, we've been making that decision related to the internet for ever since it's started, right? Mm -hmm. We keep giving more and more power and information away, you know, whether it's our privacy, whether it's 
little bits of ourselves that we share online or whether we're seeding sort of, you know, control of where we get our information. It's all because it's very convenient. You know, there's a lot of positives about technology. Uh, I love technology, but I also know that it can have, there's a, Douglas Rushkoff has a saying and a, a book he wrote, program or be programmed, right? And it starts with the choices we make when we're on the internet. Absolutely. It's, it's funny that you mentioned social media. It's really not because most of this is very directly related <laughs> to social media, but most of us, whether we admit it publicly on a podcast or not, do get at least some of our news from social media because it's where we spend our time. Especially right now when we can't gather with people physically, we are gathering with people electronically and virtually on social media. And so if you are getting your news from social media, take a moment to trace it back to the original source. If something appears on Twitter, it likely was not created for Twitter and it did not come from Twitter. That information has to have come from somewhere. Tracing information back to the root is a great practice to have and a habit to get into. And so if you find something on your feed, figuring out where it came from opens the window to let you look at those five W's. It's hard to get your who, what, where, when, why from 180 characters. It's much easier to get it from the original source where you can look around and really dig in. So if you're getting news from social media, take that moment to trace it back. And if you see something that you're not 100% sure about, again, go back to the root, do your own research. Look at that piece of information from multiple news outlets and compare the coverage, compare the message, take a look at it from different sides, because normally there's a kernel of truth somewhere. People are just covering it for entertainment and taking it on with a different bias, a different slant, different language choices. And looking at it from multiple perspectives at least lets you step back and see that what you've read in the first article isn't fact, that people are looking at it in different ways. And the more angles you look from, the clearer the actual truth becomes versus what was added around it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And understand, especially on social media, that nobody is above getting misled. Your cousin, your mother, your friend, the person that's verified, no one Mm -hmm. is above being misled. And honest to God, you're going to have a much better understanding of the fact if you do it yourself than trusting anything that someone else posts, even if it's because they posted it. It's sad that I have to say this, but especially people my age, a lot of the times when they will, they'll say like, did you hear this happen? And I'm like, oh, like, how did you hear about that? My friend tweeted this or my mm-hmm. friend Instagram this. Like your friend is not, <laughs> no one gave your your friend some like, you know what I mean? Like no one validated their, mm-hmm. their source or their research or anything like that. So you can't be throwing out names that are close to you because they're only close to you. That yeah. can't be the only reason that you believe somebody. And there's no shame from getting your news from social media, from hearing things from a friend. It's the world that we live in right now. It is only a problem if you stop there. If the person behind you in the grocery line becomes the only way that you learn about this update, that's your problem. But if you take it and you think, oh, this thing happened, I should figure out a little more about it. And you dig, use it as a starting point, jump off. And then the next time you join a conversation about it, you know what's true and what's not true and what to add and how to make sure that that conversation is fruitful and pushing people in the right direction and that you're not spreading something that's not real. And if you want to be a fact checker, if you want to be the party pooper that says, um, actually, which I definitely am, 
Um, <laughs> there are some amazing fact-checking websites out there and they are in high gear right now. PolitiFact has been checking things around the clock and they have many of these fact-checking websites will just let you know right off the bat if it's true or if it's a myth. And so if you just have a moment and you want to check, you can check PolitiFact, you can check Snopes, you can check factcheck.org, and they will just let you know very quickly, or you have the opportunity to take a deep dive and figure out where that information came from, what the kernel of truth is, why it was told. So you have your choice of how deeply involved you want to get. But fact-checking sites like Snopes, PolitiFact, and factcheck.org can be really, really great for checking things on the go and making sure you don't accidentally share or further something that is not true and that is taking people in the wrong direction. And we're going to have those websites along with a few more on our resource page. I keep them open on my computer and on my cell phone and just sometimes will refresh to see what else has rolled in like, oh, dead people are voting. Oh, so the voting machines were hacked. Oh, so you could go back and check and see. And I will say that I trust those looking at politifactedfactcheck.org. They are nonprofit organizations that are run by journalism schools that are training the next generation of hopefully responsible media coverage. And so, you know, at some point you do have to choose to trust something. And I do trust those fact-checking websites. And you made a you made a good point about the next generation of journalists. And I think we don't give enough credit to this generation of real journalists. Yeah. They are given before these past four years, journalism was something that was held very like sacred to our society. Like not everybody's a journalist, but even more so, not everyone's a respected journalist. And to be a respected journalist, you have to prove like, you know, there, there's things like you don't give up your sources, you don't mislead people there's so many things that you had to work up and prove that you weren't doing to be trusted and I don't think they get enough credit I just think it's important to, to remember that this next generation has a responsibility to never repeat what happened what's happening and what's happened in these past couple of years ever again and I think that's going to be something that we we have to look we have to look forward to rather than uh, just assume they're going to be you know what I mean yeah not as good as well for sure so and ladies, we're getting close to me calling it. Okay. All right. Um, were there any last resources you wanted to share? Yes. I would love to point out the media bias chart that you're going to be able to find on our resource page. And this charts news organizations and outlets, not only left versus right, liberal versus conservative, but it also takes you on a scale from fact reporting to propaganda. So you can look at where it falls on political spectrum. And you can also fall, see where it falls. Is it opinion? Is it factual mm -hmm. reporting? Is it reliable? Is it unreliable? That's a fantastic resource to have on hand. I've also linked all sides, which I spoke earlier about checking on a current event from multiple perspectives and all sides does all of that work for you. You can look at a headline and it has a resource from the center, from the right, from the left. You can look at just the headlines. You can click on all of the articles. It'll takes all of the work out of viewing different perspectives of an issue and makes it available at the click of a button. Anyone else have a resource to share? Cause I kind of ran with that. If there's anything I like want to say, especially with what's going on now, I know what we talked about sounds tedious and you don't want to answer five W the five W questions every time you read something, but we just watch and we're watching our democracy be questioned. And I think that when something like that is at, at stake, it's our responsibility to do everything in our power 
to not be misinformed and to not spread misinformation. So mm-hmm. don't think that you're above doing it. I'm not above doing it. And I think that if there's anything that you pass on to your family members or your friends is that the, these are the steps that we need to be taking now. This is the it's reality your, that we have. It's your civic duty. Once yeah. every few years you get to vote, every single day you get to make sure that the information that you're sharing is real. Like say the Pledge of Allegiance, sing the national anthem, check your news sources all very American things to do. We're patriots asking our five W's. (laughs) Yeah, and I would just add, I'm going to be adding some resources from Mozilla because this is, you know, one of their top priorities and they have been going after Facebook and YouTube and Twitter for the various things that they have not been dealing with. So if you really want to get on board, if you really want to get active, they have multiple ways to do that. So I'll be sure to share that. The final thing I just wanted to share is there are people out there having dialogues that are on opposite sides. I am going to the University of Virginia now, the Miller Center is here, and they've been having some talks, bringing different political parties together and talking about what's happening right now, what it means for their parties, and they're doing it in a way that is respectful civil. And for me, that just helped me take a big, like, okay, you know, there, there are definitely nefarious things going on to try to change our opinion. There are more innocent things going on where people are sharing posts and they not, you know, fact checking it. But then there are definitely a set of people who on, you know, are working through all this Mm -hmm. in a respectful manner. That's hopeful. That's a nice, hopeful way to close things. We all have the choice to engage respectfully, to be careful about what we share, to to make the world a little bit better every time we read and learn. And we can do it. We're going to do it. Yay us. (laughs) We have to do it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, we we don't really have a choice. (laughs) Okay, but my message was much more hopeful, so... Well, Sally, Sally, thank you so much. Oh, yes. we were, oh, yes. Thank you for having me again. I, I love this podcast so much. Oh, I feel like we could talk to you every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to go actually plan a MozFest session now. So um, I'm sure we'll have more about that on the podcast. I'm sure we will. If you have thoughts about fake news, about disinformation, about misinformation, if you are, if you have questions, if you want to share techniques or resources, please reach out to us. We're all over social media and uh, you can contact us via our website. We would love to hear from you. Until next time. Tech, love, and happy.